Matthew chapter number 2, I'd like to read the first 12 verses. Uh, I'm going to read this and uh, probably, I think I'll just draw a few thoughts from here. Uh, you probably will be thinking, oh no, Brother Shemish has pulled out his Christmas outline. Um, you know, the only problem with that is Brother Shemish never has an outline. And uh, so you can know that that did not happen. Uh, verse number 1, Matthew chapter number 2, and then we'll just get some things. I hope it'll be helpful. I God just spoke to me about this this afternoon, and I only gathered these thoughts uh, uh, just today. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, For out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. It's probably regrettable that there are passages like this in the Bible that we tend to uh, maybe pull out once a year or uh, maybe just think about once a year. We tend to think, well, that pertains to to Christmas. But uh, I'd like you to see tonight that uh, there's some instruction here and there's some insight here as to how God leads people when he wants them to do something. And uh, that can be very helpful for us to understand that. Uh, Here were some men... Uh, that were from another place, and uh, God, the, the plan of God was to to get them from where they were uh, to the place where Jesus was, and uh, they had a they had a part to play. There was something that that God wanted them to do, and uh, so God used some things here to to get them to where they needed to be, and I like passages like this. Because I want to understand God. I, I want to understand 
God, how do you lead us? I want to understand how does it work? Uh, I want to understand what's reasonable expectation when it comes to how God should lead me. Uh, Sometimes I think we think things that really are not compatible with how God works. And uh, we may feel disappointed and wonder why God is not led a certain way or worked a certain way when, when really that mostly God does not work the way that we can sometimes think. So uh, that's really where I would like to go with this tonight. And, and I don't expect to be long, but maybe we could just think about this. Uh, and maybe you would see something in here that would help you. Uh, I would think most of us here tonight, uh, we want God to lead us. Uh, many of us already have uh, committed ourselves to a certain mission or task or, or duty that we believe God has called us to do. Uh, there is something that you have that God wants you to present to Jesus. Uh, the Bible says here that uh, when they got to the end in verse number 11, they opened their treasures and uh, they were going to be used of God. There was something they had that God was going to use in them uh, and of them uh, to help others. You know that in verse number 13, uh, it became necessary for Mary and Joseph to to uh, take Jesus to Egypt. And uh, I happen to believe that the, uh, certainly while we know those gifts uh, spoke, uh, I think, in type of certain things, I really believe that they were a practical help while they were down in Egypt. I think God selected those men to go and to worship, uh, but also uh, used what they had to sustain that family. You have things that God wants you to bring to Jesus. Uh, There's nobody here who has nothing. Now, we don't, we don't have the same things, uh, but we do have things. We have things in our life. Uh, we have uh, talents. We have abilities. Uh, we have resources. Sometimes we have authority, authority to make decisions that can help somebody else. Uh, but we have things, and God wants you to use what you have for him in this life. Uh, it would be a shame for you uh, to go through your life being busy with other things and not realizing that you are holding treasures that God wants to use. There are many things in our life, I think, that, that God can use. Uh, when you get saved, you have the ability to pray. And prayer is something that you can use for God. Now, an unsaved person can't do that. They, they, that's not a, something they can bring to God. It's not something they can use for God. Uh, that's a treasure uniquely entrusted to us. And we have an ability to pray. And I think you need to realize that even something like that is something that you should use for the Lord. I was on a plane uh, flying uh, down here from Boise. I don't particularly like to fly within America, to be honest. I, I, I much rather just get in from another country, and I, 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 uh, if I can avoid it, I prefer not to fly, uh, but I prefer not to walk more than I prefer not to fly. And so I, I will fly. But uh, <clears throat> I got on a plane, and uh, my wife and I, and to be honest, we often feel a little bit intimidated. 
Uh, we're just, it, 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 you, the system over here is just a little bit different to how it is in uh, other places. And uh, so uh, my wife and I got on the plane, and uh, we always have the, the, the nasty seats at the back. And uh, so we, we got on, we, we, we sat down, and, uh, and I was watching many people coming on, and uh, we were just sitting there quietly and, and looking. <laughs> and I looked up, and I saw, and, and the, the, the whole aisle of the aircraft was blocked with people coming on. And, I, and we looked up, this was just a few days ago, I looked up, and there was a man wearing a, a full, full black uh, clothing. Uh, he had on a hat and a beard, and, and I looked up and I thought, oh, that's uh, you know a Jewish man, a Hasidic Jewish man. And uh, and he had on the whole uh, the dressing for that, and and I just you know I didn't say I just kind of looked, and I was just sitting there waiting for people to get on, and people were coming past us, and uh, I saw him coming, and then I looked up and he sort of got to about here, and then I looked over and what I didn't realise, just behind him was a little boy, I guess it was his son. Just a, just a little little fella. Look, I don't know how old he was. He, he might have been eight. He might have been ten. But he was a little boy. I couldn't see him as his dad walked down the aisle. He's behind his dad. And, uh, and I was just sitting there. I looked over and he had on the little, the little hat that they wear and uh, identifying him and his uh, religious beliefs and his identity. And I looked at that. And when I saw the dad and, uh, and when I saw the son... It reminded me of something that I had seen many years ago. I, I'd seen some footage going back to World War II, and uh, a particular picture I once saw was very vivid. It stayed with me. I've never forgotten it, and in fact, it often visits me. And uh, it's a picture of uh, some people lined up at an open, dug grave. And uh, there are many bodies lying in the grave, many Jewish people dead lying in the grave, and uh, standing just over here a little bit is a whole lot of Nazi soldiers with their guns like this. And, uh, and, and the picture captures a moment where there's a Jewish father uh, standing with his son. And they're both about to be executed. They're both about to be shot and murdered callously, as happened. And uh, the picture just captures a moment... And you can see the terror in the little boy's eyes. And if you have a son, you know, so you can see the terror in the little boy's eyes. And he's just terrified, looking up to his dad. It's like, what's, what's going to happen to us? Like he knows, but... And they just, at the moment they snap that picture, it's a black and white photo. The moment they snap that picture, the dad is trying to comfort his son. This would have been seconds before they were shot. And the dad's pointing up. And uh, they don't, there's no words recorded, it's just a photograph. But the dad's trying to comfort his son, and he's pointing up. And uh, that really stayed with me. I, and, I, and I'm guessing, if, and I think it's a reasonable, I'm guessing that at that moment, just seconds before they, they were gunned down, like that, that uh, the dad was trying to say to his son, you know, we'll go there, or we'll be there, or... And I never forgot that. That image just stayed with me. And like I said, it comes back to me uh, periodically. So here I was on the plane, and I'm sitting there, and I saw the I saw the dad. Well, I didn't. I saw the the, the man walking down, and 
And then suddenly I saw the little boy right behind him. Well, I immediately flicked back again to that picture. I thought, here's this little Jewish boy. And I immediately flicked back. And, and right at that moment, I felt very impressed of God to begin to fervently pray for that little boy. And so I, I, I bowed my head and, and it wasn't a short, it was, it was a, a very intense leading of God that I should petition and I should pray for that little boy who by this time had gone past me that he would get saved and that God would be merciful to him and God would, would help him and preserve him. And I, and I didn't even know him, but I teared up a little bit. I, it was kind of like the Spirit of God just came on me and was, uh, was urging me to do that. Now, I believe this. I believe God knows what's coming in the future of that little boy. And I, I happen to believe that we're not too far away from the Lord's coming. And, uh, and, and I think if you're a student of the Bible, you, you kind of know what's going to happen thereafter. And uh, particularly for the Jewish people, you, you realize, and that little boy was just kind of about that age. Now, he never knew that. He never knew. He doesn't know me. Um, he would never have known that that happened. But I'm just feeling that God maybe looked at him and, and, and somehow the, the mercy of God was there. And God was looking for somebody that he could use to move his hand to do something favorable for that little boy at some point in his life. Now, I hope you believe in that. I very much do. I hope you believe in the fact that you have some things that God can use and uh, you need to be sensitive to God impressing you to use what you have. And and it can be things like that. It can be prayer. Now, that's not the first uh, stranger I've prayed for. And you say, what will come of that? I don't know, but I felt very certain I was meant to do it. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that... One day in the future, that little boy might meet me in heaven. I don't know what that will mean. I, I don't know if some point in the future there'll be a divine intervention in his life and the hand of God will move favorably to help him because the hand of God moved on me to pray that the hand of God would help him. You do have things that God wants you to use. Uh, you, 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 there are some here, you are in authority. Uh, you have the ability to, to go to others and say, we should do this and they will follow you. Uh, you've been, you've been given a position where you have leadership over others. And if you were to go to them and say, now we need to, people will follow you to do that thing. And you need to understand you've been entrusted with God with that authority. That's been given to you. And you must be sensitive to the Spirit of God in how God leads you with that. Uh, you, you're going to be accountable for that. And, and, and we all have things. We all have things that God wants to use. These, these people, you know, get beyond the Christmas card. <coughs> these people had some things that are called treasures. And the idea was that God wanted them, and they journeyed a long way to do it. God wanted them to take those things and uh, present those things to Jesus. 
And what a wonderful thing to do. What a, what a great privilege to be able to give something to Jesus. I mean, the reality is God is all sufficient. God is in need of no thing. Uh, our giving can add nothing to God for nothing is lacking. There's, there's, he's wholly complete whether we were here or not. But, but God in his mercy allows you because he wants to, to, to give you that opportunity. He allows you to take some things you have and to, to present it to him, to give it to him. And we ought to, we ought to understand that that's, that's not something we should, uh, resent or begrudge doing or that's not something that we should think, oh, the cost, the cost. We ought to understand you're favored of God, one to be saved. Do you understand that, do you understand that tonight if you're saved and uh, you might forget this a little bit being in a meeting like this or maybe even being in a country like this, but if you're saved tonight and you really do know God, and you really do know Jesus as your Savior, and you and you have a, you know, you know Him really, really know Him truthfully. You are part of a very small global minority, and you might forget that because you sit in a room like this, and there just seems to be so many of us. Uh, or you drive around and you see churches everywhere. I, I work in a in a country that is 95% Buddhist. Around about four percent are Muslim. So, so do the do the maths. That's ninety nine percent of sixty seven million people. Ninety nine percent of sixty seven million people. Ninety five percent already a Buddhist. Four percent are Muslim. They say that other one percent is sort of Christian and other things. Uh, but I can tell you that even those who who call themselves Christian where I live, even that that small little little group in that one percent somewhere, many of those are not Christian. They they are religiously Christian in the way that some are religiously Buddhist, in the same that some are religiously Muslim. They are religiously Christian, but actually they don't know God and they don't know the Lord. And so I say to our Thai people who are really saved, you know, you need to understand how truly blessed you are to, to just be saved to know God. And even whether you live in Thailand or whether you live in Australia or whether you live in America or you're, you're in Mexico or somewhere else, you're still part of a very small minority. We, we, we are a minority of people across this world. There's a billion people in India. There are a billion people in China. And, uh, and there's, you're a part of a very small select group. And I understand it's whosoever. And I understand it's God is not willing that any should perish. But I also understand Jesus said, fear not little flock. And, uh, and, and his flock is still small comparatively. Well, if you're numbered in that small flock of God, then you, you understand you have some things that God wants you to put at Jesus's feet. And, and when you do that, you are worshipping. They went and they worshipped him. You worship by, by delivering that unto God. Your, your worship is an act of yielding. Your worship is a, is a practical demonstration 
that it is all yours. It's all yours. I yield it to you. I give it to you because you are all worthy. You are, you, you deserve everything. And, and it's yours. And so you get the opportunity to do that. And, uh, and you don't have a, you don't have a long life to do it in. You've got a relatively short period. And, and even in your life, I don't know at what point you got saved. But most of us didn't start from year zero. We got saved somewhere along the way. Uh, we have a day where we will no longer be able to give and to yield and to bring things to Jesus and to, to maybe travel some distance and, and offer of ourselves. And here were some people and they were wise. They were wise because they were taking their treasures to put at the feet of Jesus. And it's an honor to be selected by God to do this. It's, it's an honor to give. It's, it's an honor to use your prayer and pray for some little boy who cannot pray for himself, can only look to his dad to be led. And if the lights are out with dad, the lights are out with the boy. And you, but, but you know better than that. You have some things you can do. You, un, you understand the answer. You understand what people need. You, 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 and what I'm saying is that God has chosen us to, to take what we have, to use what we have. I, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're a lady. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a man. This is not just something for those who are missionaries or pastors. Every Christian has things that God wants you to present and bring to the feet of Jesus. And if you miss your opportunity to do it now, you won't get it again. You, you, you won't be able to get to heaven and say, oh, God, I'm sorry. I, I was selfish. I, I got caught up in my own little world. And, and, and I don't even understand why I got so materialistic, realizing that all that's got you. There's no going back. You might come to your senses then. You will. But you can't do anything about it. But if you'd grasp it now, if you'd understand the privilege we have now to do this for the Lord, to to be used of God. Jesus said in Luke chapter number 4, verse 25 and 27, But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Zidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. What he was saying there was this. God, God selected some strangers to be the vessels, to be the recipients of his favor. God, God brought some strangers into the family when it wasn't seasonal to do so. And that's really what we are tonight. We, we, we're strangers that have been brought into God's family. And we, we just, we need to recognize the privilege of our calling. 
We, we need to recognise the uniqueness of our hour. We need to recognise the times that we live in and, and realise that, that this is our hour, this is our, this is our moment, this is our time. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, where he says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Well, that was us. That's us. We were outside of the promises. We were outside of the covenants. We, 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 that was us. We were the aliens. That was us. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. God selected us like God selected these men and uh, God chose for them. I, you know, never, never resent that God selects you. Don't complain about the sufferings in the Christian life. Uh, don't, don't, don't sort of whinge like somehow, uh, it's all, you know, you've been done bad by because God asks you to bear some things. You know, we forget. We forget the world is suffering and they have no Jesus. I try to say to our Thai men, you know, I've picked up in Thailand, there's a pattern for some of those in ministry and I don't know where it came from or they picked it up from missionaries before. I'm not quite sure where they got it from, but I just listened to it for a while and, and I'd hear them and they would get up and they would say, you know, I serve God with all my life and, and I'm in the ministry and it's very hard. It's very hard in the ministry and, um, and many time I think it's very difficult and maybe I will leave, but God has helped me and, but pray for me in the ministry is very hard. And I just kept hearing him say things like that. And finally I sat him down. I said, you know, you just need to stop talking like that. I said, stop saying that. Oh, it's very hard and it's very difficult in the ministry. I said, it's very hard for the taxi drivers in Bangkok. You want to be one of them? You think they don't go home and say, you know, oh, it's a hard day and it's difficult. It's hard doing many things. Many things in life are hard. But we have God. We've been selected by God. If, if we have sufferings, ours are unto good. There are others who are suffering who go to hell and suffer more. There are others who are suffering who can give nothing to God. We have been highly favoured to be in this position. We have been highly favoured with treasures that God has given us not to keep and not to consume but to put at the feet of Jesus. God, thank you that you give me something I can put at his feet. Thank you. Thank you, God, that it's not that I have nothing and I can't give anything. Thank you. Thank you for a little, a little talent. Thank you for one, but I won't wrap it in a napkin. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for a little bit of money, but I can give. Thank you that you give me something. Thank you, God, that you would choose me to take my treasures to Jesus. And though I have to walk maybe 600 miles or though it's a long way, it's not a long way because you're at the end. It's not long. I'm, I'm honored. There are thousands of others who would never call to make that trip. There are thousands of others who went about their daily business. There, there, there were people in marketplaces who didn't look up from selling their figs and their dates when Jesus was in town. And they missed it. And thank God we're not like that.
We know him. We're saved. We have some treasures. It's an honor to be able to give to him. It's an honor to bear a burden. It's an honor to take on a little suffering. Thank you, God. And here were some men, strangers, unusual. Oh, there were, there were many in Jerusalem, but apparently God chose some strangers. There, there were many there who, who, who knew the book. And I don't know what the problem was. Maybe they just became complacent with the book. Maybe that was it. Maybe they had it, but it didn't mean much to them. Maybe it just became a religious appendage. I don't know what happened, but I know that God selected strangers from a faraway place to take their treasures and to bring it to Jesus. And you'll see what initiates their journey here in verse number two is the appearance of a star. It came to where they were at that time. Uh, They would say their testimony was, in verse number two, we have, past tense, we have seen his star in the east. And so there was a star there for them in the beginning of their journey. Uh, God used something to, to initiate that process. There was something that touched them. There was something that, that spoke to them and, and so they make their way to, to Jerusalem. Now, uh, as best I can understand this, uh, that star was there at the beginning. Uh, it comes again after they talk to Herod. But there's a period in between where they just have to make the journey. And I'm going to suggest to you tonight that's very God. It's very God. Say, so what do you mean? I mean that God will use something, let's just say a star, meaning it can be anything. And God will use that to initiate a process in you, to, to get you to start a journey. And it is God, and you did see it correct. And you rightly discerned it was God. And it's pointing you to the service of Christ. It's pointing you to the place where you would yield your treasures. You rightly discerned it. No mistake. But, but, but that star is not going to be with you every day. You, now you've been, you, God has done something. He, he did it in you. He worked in you. And so you make your journey. You do what they do. And uh, they headed off and they kept going. And uh, they arrived at Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem wasn't the place where they were going to find Jesus. But that's where they got to. So now, so they, they've left at the, at the appearance of the star and they've made their journey. They have their treasures. They want to present to him and worship him. And they get to Jerusalem, which is sort of the wrong place, but, but they, they get to, they get to Jerusalem. Now, what, what do you do? What do you do when God calls you to do something? You know it's God. He powerfully presents himself to you. He, he moves upon you. You're not in doubt that it's God. And, and now you start, you start the journey and, uh, and God said, off you go. And, uh, and you start the journey, but you don't have that star every day. You don't wake up every day and that star's just there. And so they get to Jerusalem and what do they do? Well, they, they ask some questions. They, they say, they start asking people. And, uh, and, and, uh, and then, uh, there's an expectation, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna word it this way, there's an expectation of intuitive response. Which is, and so we sometimes now, they market these, uh, supposedly called smartphones, and they say, this is a good phone, and this is good, this is good software, because, uh, it has a, a good, it's, it's intuitive. 
meaning that that if you just sort of play with it, it'll if you just will work it, it will it will it will show you you you'll work it out. It's not hard. It's not confusing. One step leads to another step, but you have to do it. You can't do nothing. It doesn't do it for you, but if you'll do it, <coughs> and if you'll take some steps, and if you'll, if you'll use what you have, you'll get to where you need to be. And that's how it works with God. <coughs> God calls you, God starts the journey, uh, God sends the star, and, uh, and you, you go on your way, but now there's an expectation that you, you have to uh, do the work of God. You, you don't wake up with daily style, God, what do I do today? You, you, you've been given some ability. You can think, you can reason, you can meditate, you can read, you can pray, you can talk, you can ask questions. And, and in process of you just using what God has given you to use, it will become further clear to you what to do next. But you don't just sit around, you know, waiting for the next star or, or waiting for that to drop out of the sky. Uh, I, I got the star appeared and uh, told me to go to Thailand. And uh, so, okay. And so uh, I get to Thailand. Now, when I got to Thailand, there was no star. Uh, but, but the star, I, I, was, I was on the right track. I was on the right journey. Say, well, well, what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't just sit around and do nothing. You don't, you don't just say, well, what could I do? Well, there's lots of things you could do. Lots of things. You begin the process of, of, of taking some steps forward and moving in some direction, and God will lead you as you do that. But if you don't do that, you go nowhere. You, 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 you've been given some ability already. You have, you have a brain. You have an ability to think. That's God-given. Now, we're not saying be self-willed, but we're saying you don't just go dormant and passive and inactive waiting for the next star. Get on with it. Do something. Okay, so you got to Jerusalem. Well, amen, that's 600 miles more than where you started. Well, but but we're here and and there's no Jesus. Okay, what do you think you should do? Well, I was thinking I might ask someone. That's intuitive. Good for you. I was thinking I might seek a bit of advice. Well, that, that's very intuitive. Why don't you do that? And I'm saying that, that, that you, that's how God, there's some expectation that you do that. You have some ability. You, you, your child learns quickly how to feed themselves. You don't have to tell them that all the time. Where does that come from? It's just in them to do that. They, they can, there's things they can do. And, and that's how God will work. As you begin to do what you can do, I, I was just hearing a couple of weeks ago uh, about, a, about a missionary who was on a foreign field and uh, was seemingly coming up with very little fruit. And he was just doing what he knew to do, which was to go out and knock on someone's door and try to use his broken language ability to, to tell someone about Christ. And uh, so that's just what he did. And he went to door, to door, to door, and it was discouraging. And there was no star. The star had got him there, and now, and now he was just doing what he knew to do. And, and, and he was just, you know, just almost ready to go home, but just went to the next door. And I won't tell you the whole story, but 
But there he met somebody who was just ready, had been readied of God. Readied of God. And, and not only did that person get saved, that led to another, led to another, and may I just say led to many, many, a large number. Now, now there was no new star, but he just did. He got out there and he started doing what he just knew to do. And there's an expectation as God leads you. It's not self-will. It's not you inventing the will of God. It's just you understanding you're not a baby. God has put some things in you. Uh, you've already been taught some things. Uh, you can speak. You can ask questions. Go out there and be as diligent seeking the will of God and seeking to do the work of God as other people are diligent seeking to do things for themselves. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you do nothing. You Go and use what you have and do something. Go and take what you have and use it for God. There's an expectation that you would do that. And so they, they get to Jerusalem. That's not the place. And, and they come, and here's what they do. They, they, now, if you were giving advice to somebody who was going to go to the place where Herod the Great was king, who was known as a despot and a murderer, who killed people in his own family when he thought that they might be going to assert the throne, if you were going to give advice, you probably would say it might be helpful for you not to sort of mention the new king thing in front of Herod. Are we okay with that? You, you just might say, now look, uh, I understand your quest, but there's a guy there and he is really paranoid about anybody who might be going to come up from anywhere. So this sort of uh, king of the Jews thing, maybe just be careful who you say that to. No, that's not what they do. No, they, they, they don't go to Bethlehem. They march straight in Jerusalem and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, they go right in there and they just tell everybody and uh, they just say, well, where is he? Where's this king of the Jews? And I can just imagine people going, oh, God. you know, just quickly go. Well, where is he? Where's, so where's the new king? Where's, where, where's the new king? And you're thinking, guys... What are you doing? This is, this is Jerusalem. This guy's a maniac. This, this guy slaughters people at will. This guy, anybody. And you're, and you're going there and you're talking about where's the king of the Jews? He thinks he's king of the world. And you're talking about where's the new king? What, guys, what, what, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? And uh, you know what you see through all of that? What you just see is, is just ordinary people And you see a God who's bigger than our decisions. And I find great comfort in that. I don't know if you've ever agonized over making the right decision for God. I don't know if you've ever agonized about trying really hard to get it right. Uh, Many times I'll be be praying, you know, God, which sermon is it? What, What would you have me to preach? You know, I just, I just want the right message. And, and you pray, and you start to agonize over that. And you know, is it, is it this one? And, and you kind of feel like God's going, this one? It's this one, isn't it? Is it this one? And you, and you torment yourself that I'm going to get this wrong. 
You know, and I, I, I'm going to blow this and I'm going to pick the wrong message and that's it. God's going to go, oh, not that one and just not show up. And I'm going to be out there preaching. God's going to go, oh, you just never listen. You never listen. And you, you get, you agonize, you know, is it, God, is it, is it, is it this? Tell me which one, Lord, just, just show me, just, just help me. God, should I do this or should I do this? Which, which one is it, God? Is it? I think it's this. I think, no, no, I don't think it's this. I think, I think, I think it could be this one. And, and then finally, you, you know, you nail it down and, uh, and you, and you, and you got your message and you're on your way to preach and you're sitting down waiting to come up and then that feeling hits you. You've picked the wrong message. Oh God, I think I've got the wrong one. And uh, you start flicking through your Bible for, for another outline, you know. Oh, God, it's this one. It was this one all the time, wasn't it? It's this one. Oh, I have to preach this one. And that's how you start to look at God. Like uh, every decision hangs with you. And if you get it wrong, oh, the blessing's gone. That's it. You lost it. It's gone. God is bigger than our decisions. Thank God. God is bigger than the small thing that lies up here. God has ability to get beyond that. It probably wasn't the brightest thing to do. Hey, where's the new king? Oh, God. You know, people will be just, what are you doing? God worked it out. You don't have to live in fear of that. You don't, you don't have a God like that, where you, you, you know, you do your best and, 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 and you're just all the time wondering, is it this, is it this? Listen, the easy decisions are the ones where it's right and wrong. That's not real hard. But you go on often in the, in long enough in the service of God and you start to have to make decisions with things that start to look a lot like each other. And, and, and when you really, the more sincere you are and the more you care about God, the more this can torment you. Because you really do want to get it right. You're okay. You're really okay. If he says it's this one, okay, you're okay. You'll do this one. If that's God, you just want God. Or if he says it's, if he says it's this one, well, well, I'm okay with that too. If it's you, I'm okay. And we kind of develop this thing where, where, where it all hangs with me. And I, and I might get it wrong. We agonize over things. You know what? Somebody said something that was a great blessing to me many years ago. And it was pertaining to just following God where he leads you. This person said this. It's better to do the right thing in the wrong place than to do the wrong thing in the right place. God God is bigger. God is bigger. I think sometimes it might work like this, where God will be will be directing maybe this way, and you're going, God, is it is it this way? Or is it this way? And and you're trying to and try and and truthfully, I, I, I think sometimes I don't think we get it right every time. I don't, I don't think, and this is what's typically portrayed. Okay, I, I miscalled it, so now all my steps on this journey will be forever purgatory because I got it wrong. I made, I made a wrong decision, and, I, and now I've gone off, and this is just an unending abyss of being away from God. And that, that, that's a little naive. God is not like that. Uh, 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 I don't think God was orchestrating uh, Abraham's going down into Egypt and, and the things that, that he did. 
I, I don't think you'd say that was the clear, defined will of God. But you will find this. God was still with him when he was there. You will find that. And we're not advocating making bad decisions. We're simply realizing we probably are not going to call it perfectly right every time. But thank God, he's a whole lot bigger than that. Thank, thank, thank God, he's a whole, whole lot bigger than that. You know, we'll do this. We'll witness to someone and we'll agonize that maybe I didn't use the right words. I just, oh, I should have said it this way. And here's what you're doing. You're saying this. That person would have got saved if only I'd used this phrase instead of this one. And you're making God, see, you, you, you take God out of all of that. You, what do you really think? That God, that God is saying, ah, oh, yeah, you shouldn't have said that. I'll never get saved now. I'm going to go bless someone else. You know, that's, that's what you think. But God's bigger than that. God's, God's bigger than that. God, God, God is used to people like us. God, God, God remembers our frame. God, God, you know, God, God, is, God builds buildings with bent nails all the time. God, God hasn't had a straight nail to work with since Adam, and that got bent pretty soon. And you understand what God is working with? You understand when God looks in his box, it's okay, but he still manages to do it. He's bigger, he's bigger, he's bigger. You don't need to torment yourself, but do your best. Pray. Okay, you get to Jerusalem. Oh, close, close. Bethlehem's nearby, but it's okay. God will get you there. It'll work out okay. Maybe not the wisest thing to say to a despot that there's a new king somewhere, but it will work out okay. And then I want you to see as we move to conclude the strange things that God uses. So they go there and... And, uh, Herod, well, the whole, the whole, there's upheaval everywhere as the word this gets out. And then verse number eight, or verse number seven, Herod calls them in. They've come a long way. And, uh, Herod probably represents everything that is just not of God. Uh, he's a murderer, he's a despot, he's a deceiver. Uh, he has uh, no pity. There's no good thing there, and uh, and he calls them in, and he and he asks them about when, uh, past tense, the star appeared, and then look at verse number eight. He sends them to Bethlehem. He's the one who directed them. Isn't that strange that that God would use someone like that to help them along their way? God God would use someone like that to get them where they needed to be. And you could say it's strange, but, but it's happened before. Uh, you'll notice that when Elijah was in the cave, God didn't feed him with, you know, white doves that sort of fluttered in. That would be more how we would think of it. Actually, he used unclean ravens. But, but, but it sustained him. It's okay. It got by. And sometimes God will use unusual ways in the journey Sometimes people who don't even know God are being used by God. I remember when I first went to my first ever trip to Thailand and I had no intention of ever, you know, I just, like I just thought about Thailand like I thought about anywhere else. I was only passing through. I was, uh, I believe I was preaching in Cambodia. I was just, just changing planes and, and I had a little bit of time and so I'm looking and 
I go down to a Starbucks near the, the hotel there just to, you know, sit some familiarity and I get down to the Starbucks and I'm sitting there and I don't, I'm not thinking anything about Thailand. I'm just, I'm just, I'm transiting through, brother. That's all I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested in any of this. So did you just have sort of a, brother Shemish, did you just sort of have a, a like a tingle or a, a leading like a, this was going to be your life? Nothing. I had a latte. And uh, so I was sitting there and having my coffee and uh, just sitting in the Starbucks, uh, waiting to kill time. And uh, and uh, just there was a uh, it was a few Thai people in there. Uh, something funny happened. I was looking out the window. I kind of smiled. And then this Thai person who I didn't even know said to me, oh, did you know in English, did you see what happened out there or do you know what happened? And uh, spoke English. And I said, I said, no. And he began to talk to me. And, um, and then he said, uh, he came and sat down beside me and, and he could talk English. Well, okay. So now we're having coffee. We're talking English. And, uh, and I just begin to ask him some questions and, and he just began to explain some things about Thai people and Thailand to me. And, and, uh, and what was happening was, what was happening was God was using someone who didn't know they were being used. And God was directing me, and it was all happening really without both of us understanding the process. God was bigger. It wasn't needful to God for me to understand the process. He was going to achieve what, and so this man began to talk to me, and, and I began to ask some questions, and, and, uh, and then, and he said, look, I've got to go back to work now. He said, but, but, uh, you know, tonight after I finish work, if you want to, we can eat together and I'll take you around and I'll show you some things and I'll explain to you. I'd asked him about the temples. He said, I'll take you to one and I'll explain to you about that. And, uh, and I said, you know, I don't know what happened. I said, okay. And I remember calling home and saying, put me on tomorrow's flight. Just, just give me a, give me a night here. I, I'm just going to go and, and have a look. And, <coughs> and they arranged that for me. And uh, so <coughs> this uh, fellow I met, and he began to show me around. Now, here's what was happening. Uh, I was going from, uh, I'm just transiting through, I'm just transiting through, to the veil was starting to be pulled back. And, and, it, and it wasn't just, I'm now I'm a tourist. Now I'm a, it, was, it was starting to become more than that. And a process began to happen where my eye affected my heart. And God was using that man. And, uh, and, uh, and, and that, was, that was the person that God used, who then, uh, a little bit after that, introduced me to his friend, whose name was Amnoi Kamsong, but people just call him Joe. And he introduced me to Joe. And so I met Joe. And Joe, Joe went on to get saved. And Joe is like a, he's not my son, but he's as a son to me in the ministry. And he's labored with me now. We've been together 10 years. Uh, eight years he's been saved, but we've, I've known him for 10. Eight years we've been saved. It's almost unrecognizable what we both are compared to what we were back then. Now, here's the curious thing. God used that man who was unsaved, 
He knew, he knew nothing of God. He was just a, he was in the 95% of ties I talked about before, but he could speak a little bit. He could speak some English and God used him to lead me to Joe. He, this man got me there, but I, did, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know it. it was just how it happened. From Joe has come others and, and from me meeting Joe, well, now there are, I don't want to say many, but there are numbers of people who've got saved and have come to Christ. And, and, and from that meeting where there was no church in a city of more than a million people, now, now there's an independent Baptist church. And, and when I trace all of that back and I go all the way back, I think about if one event had not taken place, how very different all this would have been. How God, God used that man to direct me to where Bethlehem really was. God used that one to get me to where Christ was. That man has never got saved. To this day, he's not saved. He's a friend of our family. He doesn't even live in Thailand anymore. I've witnessed to him. I've t- he's never got saved. But from him, many, many others have got saved. He was used of God and he doesn't even know it. God sent them to Herod, a despot, a crazy, a murderer. And Herod found out what they needed to know through asking others, well, what does the Bible say about this? And then Herod said to them, okay, you go to Bethlehem and you you go and you, you search it out. And you'll find that God will do that as he leads you. You see, this is very instructive in understanding how he can work. He'll bring you to people who they don't even maybe realize they're being used, but God is using that to lead you. Uh, I have a final thought here. Uh, As they begin to go towards Bethlehem, uh, verse number 9, it says, And when they'd heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw, past tense, that star that got them going, uh, it went before them. It comes back. And, and, it, and it stands over where they need to be. Now, here's the thought. God used that star to initiate their journey. And then from there, there was an expectation that they would get about what God had initially put on their heart. And that's what they did. And, uh, and when they came to the place where they didn't know what to do, they didn't get a star every time. You don't get a star every time, I don't know what to do. You question, you pray, you ask, you use your ability to try to find out what to do. But at the right moment, when you, when you need it, when you need it, the star will come again. But God doesn't want you star dependent. God doesn't want that. They'll visit you. See, a star at best is what we might call a lesser light. But God is the greater light. And, and God will use those, the, the lesser things. God will use that. But you shouldn't become dependent on that. When I, when I came to Christ, a man led me to Christ. I got saved in a charismatic church. I'm sorry about that, but I am glad I got saved. Uh, I got saved in a charismatic church. Uh, 
there were some things there that weren't so great, but 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 they preached the gospel clearly, and and uh, and, and no doubt about that. And I remember there was a man who I was 13. There was a man who preached the gospel to me. Well, there was a group of us, and I remember clearly the day I got saved. I remember the message he was preaching, and uh, he was a, he was a preacher there, and and he preached the message, and uh, and I got saved. And in the years that they labored in the particular area where I lived, they ended up closing it all up. And they just said, you know, nothing came out of it but that one boy. That's what they said. Nothing came out of it but that one boy. And, uh, and I was that one boy. And, uh, and, uh, but I kept contact with that man. It was kind of like uh, I, my own dad was an alcoholic. My, my dad would not talk. My dad would hardly talk to me. I had a very awkward relationship with my dad. I, I, it was awkward. It, uh, my mum was mum, but dad was, I think dad had a lot of issues himself and, and, uh, my mum had become pregnant with, with me, uh, before they were married and I don't know. And some people said that there was, maybe he resented, I don't know what it was, but, but my dad wouldn't talk to me. If I ran into my dad on the street, it got really awkward. Every now and then I'd be up the street at maybe the shop, shops near our home and if my mum and dad were up there, I didn't know, I'd run into my dad. And he'd say, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to live with him, but we didn't talk. And I'd run into my dad and I'd be, oh, oh, dad. And he'd go, mm. I'd go, oh, are you, um, you at the shops? And he'd go, uh, yeah. And I'd go, uh, uh, where's mum? Uh, mum's in the shop there. Okay, I'll go see mum. Uh, that's kind of how it was. My dad, my dad, we, I had a younger brother and sister. My dad at night would go in and he'd kiss my younger brother and sister and walk past me. And uh, that was just life. And it was kind of odd. So when I got saved, this other man came. He led me to Christ. And I don't want to say he was a star. You know, so I'm not saying like a Hollywood star. But he was, he was a light, a lesser light. But he was a light that God sent to me. And he helped me. He really helped me. He, he was the first person who ever taught me the Bible. And he taught me that Jesus was coming back again. I remember how amazed I was to hear that. And he just began, to, and, and what he'd do uh, every, every Sunday after church, he'd take me back to his house. And he and his wife would have a meal prepared. And, and I would sit down, and here, here am I, 13, and and he's, you know, and he would, they would eat and, and they would, and I would eat with them. And, and then after we eat, it would sit me down. He'd say, so Wayne, how'd it go this week? And I'd say, oh, it's okay. So did you, did you read your Bible this week? And I'd say, uh, yeah, yeah, I read it. You know, it's really important, Wayne, you read your Bible. I'd say, yeah. He'd say, how are you going? You've been praying? Is that, and he would just, he just, that's what he was. He was a light. It's like a star that God sent me for that time. Well, I began to grow in the faith and eventually God led me elsewhere and, and, uh, and I was, but he was still there and, and if I would have a problem, if I would have a problem even, even, even as uh, early on as just when I got married, now we're talking 25, if I had a problem, it might only come up once every year or once every two years, but the first person I would think about calling was that man. He's just somebody I could go to. And, and he just, and he seemed to have some wisdom. And I'd call him and I'd say, you know, to me. And he'd say, oh, how are you? And I'd go, well, well, just going through this. And he'd just, he'd do this a lot. Hmm. That's probably where I got that from. He'd go, hmm. And he'd listen. And I'd tell him things and, 
And you say, mm, I understand, Wayne. Well, you know, here's what I think maybe you ought to think about doing. And he was just very gracious, very humble, and it was just kind of there. And then there came the time that God called me to be the pastor of an independent Baptist church. And I remember, I remember when I went to Good Shepherd Baptist Church, and now I'm the pastor. There's not many people there, but I feel so blessed to be used of God. And uh, it so turns out that the church that I'm pastoring is in the same suburb where he lived. And, uh, and so I'm pastoring there. And uh, I wasn't there long, maybe two or three months. Uh, now I'm uh, a little bit older and a call came through and, and it was him. And he said, I hear that you're pastoring the church down there, the Independent Baptist Church. And I said, yeah, yeah, they, they voted on me and I'm here and God's good. And, and he said, I'd like to come and see you. And I said, okay. And he was just, just in the area. And he came down and I said, well, I said, I don't really have an office, but I have this room here that I use and just come in. And, and uh, I, I got to admit, I kind of felt a little proud like my dad was there. It wasn't my dad, but it felt a little bit like that. And he, and he came in, he sat down and uh, he kind of looked around and, and uh, he said, I, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. He said, I'm really appalled that you've made this decision. And I looked up, I said, he said, I can't believe that you've allowed yourself to be hijacked by these right-wing American fundamentalist group. I thought you knew better than that. And he went on and I'm ashamed of you. I can't believe you've come to this. I kind of felt like I'm living through dad again a little bit. And, I, and, he, and he went through all that and he, he didn't yell, but he just said some things and, and he said, well, I'm leaving. And he got up and he walked out. And I was just sitting there in a little chair and, and I remember kind of looking up to God and, and I knew what he said wasn't right, but my star was gone. I wasn't going to be able to call anymore. There was no one to fall back to. So I got on with the work of God and I pushed on for a, probably a couple of years after that, just serving, doing, the church was growing, it was doing okay. And, uh, but I didn't have anyone. And I didn't come, no one knew, I didn't talk about it. Probably about a couple of years later, my friend, Robert Bax, called me. He said, uh, Brother Wayne, he said, I'm going to host a, a conference up here in Rockhampton, and he said, I'd like you to come up and preach. Well, that was about a six or seven hour drive from where I was, and and he was sort of my friend. I got to know him just through being in the ministry, and and we'd both started about the same time. I said, yeah, Robert, if you want me to come, I'll, I'll come. I said, when is it? And he told me. I said, okay. I said, uh, who, who's who's up there? Who's coming? He said, well, I'm sending invites to you know churches in the area, and he said, you'll be preaching, it'll be you and another guy you'll be preaching. And I said, oh, who's, who's the other guy? And he said, uh, do, you, do you know, uh, have you heard of Doug Fisher? You heard of Doug Fisher from America? I said, Doug Fisher, no, never heard of him. I said, where's he from? He said, San Diego. 
Well, I'd only met one person in my life from San Diego and I really disliked him immensely. (laughs) And so immediately I heard San Diego. Do you know how that association thing works? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, San Diego. It's, it's, he's going to be another one of those for sure. And so I say, oh, okay, yeah, Doug Fisher, yeah, that's great. Okay, yep, great. All right, well, we'll, we'll do that. That'll be great. And so uh, my wife and I go up there. Uh, we're in the same hotel uh, Friday night. I go to the meeting. I sit there. And here up the front is Doug Fisher from San Diego. And I'm looking at him. And, uh, and I'm kind of looking and... And I'm not initially overwhelmed with warm feelings. I'm, uh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, yep, San Diego. <laughs> and uh, he said, bad attitude. You're right, it was. And, and so we, we got through the meeting and, uh, and I, we go back to the hotel. I'm scheduled the next day and I'm murmuring to my wife. I'm saying, what do you think of that San Diego guy? You know, it was a loaded question. What do you think of that San Diego guy? And she goes, oh, it's okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know why Robert got him in, but whatever, you know. So, honey, do you need to have a good attitude? That's not right. You know, because, oh, I know, I know. So I go to sleep that night. Saturday morning comes around. There's a McDonald's right beside the, the hotel. So I, on my own, I get up. I go to the McDonald's. I'm sitting there being Brother Shemish. And uh, I see this man walks in front of me. And I look up, and it's Doug Fisher from San Diego. <laughs> and he says, brother, do you mind if I just sit here with you? And as hypocritical as you possibly could be, I go, no, sure, have a seat. <laughs> and uh, he sits down. And he begins to talk. Five minutes, ten minutes. My heart is smitten. And he says, could you, he says, could you help me with this? And I say, me help you? I say, I'm the guy from that little church down there. I have a handful of people. And I, I don't know much about you, but I know you've got a whole lot more than me. And I, you want me to help you? I said, I preach, I don't think I could help you. He said, please. I never heard anyone say this, but he said this. Wound me. Wound you? Wound me. So I shared some things. I went back to the meeting. I don't know, I was different or he was different. Or we both were different. But I was greatly affected by the preaching. I was greatly moved. God used him in a remarkable way. The meeting was over. And I had been profoundly touched by God. I'd been taught things I never knew before. The meeting was over. And I kind of found out he was coming down our way to visit a missionary on his way out. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go and hear Doug Fisher from San Diego again. He'll be near home. So I, I went to that meeting. And then after that meeting, I said, I found out, I said that he was available the next day. I said, would you like to go and, and like have a cup of tea or coffee and talk? And he said, okay. 
I said, we have a, like a little uh, boat that tours the river in town. We can go on that. He said, okay. So uh, we, we did that, and, and I was planning to go on the little boat trip and, and drink tea and talk, and we have, we have pastries and tea. And, and so I, I got there to pick him up, and I noticed that he'd come to the boat trip with his Bible. I thought he'd bring his Bible on the boat trip. And uh, we sat down at the table, and uh, he said, let, let, me, let me show you some things here, brother. And he opened up the Bible, and he began to help me. And that was the beginning So what happened? God sent me another star. Another star. So he's a star. Well, he's not the great light, but he's a lesser light. But God sent him. And just when I needed the star to come again, just when I needed another visit, just when I was ready, my first one was gone. He he disowned me. But God sent me another one who would help me. If there was a man outside of our church that I would recognize as being the most influential and instrumental in the growth of our church in Australia, it's that man over there. That was God sent. That wasn't of me and that wasn't of him. That was of God. I don't think any of us would have imagined years later that I'd be here and you would be there. And, but that was just of God. And what I'm saying to you is this, and I'm going to finish with this. You'll get a star, you'll get a leading. And it is God. What you're hearing is God. It's not a mistake. And now you've got to start your journey and get on with it. And you're not going to have a daily star to nurture you through. And you, and you might end up in somewhere close, but not exactly the right place. And that's okay, because God will get you there. And when you need it, when you need it, the other star will come along. And it will guide you exactly where you need to be. And that's how God leads. And as you leave here tonight, here's my admonition. You have treasure. You have been selected Go and take it to Jesus' feet. Go and deliver what he's given you. Fulfill your task.